This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. Welcome in, my friends, to another episode of Behind the Pen. My name is Mike Rankin, and I will be your host for today's show, and I'm by myself. That's cool. I like talking to you guys one-on-one here, let you guys listen in on the inner workings of my brain, and hopefully I entertain you throughout the entire length of this podcast. Not sure how long it's going to be. We'll see. There are plenty on tap for today. Bears, Mariners, and Yankees. That's right. We're talking Major League Baseball. It's 2017, mid-January, pitchers and catchers report. Soon, I hope, uh, early February, I'm looking at the schedule, and I'm excited. I can't wait to get into all of it with you, but before I do... I'm going to talk some necessities here. And if you'd like to stay tuned for the entire length of this podcast without any interruptions or you're on YouTube and you don't want to wait for the segments to be published, go to blogtalkradio.com backslash most valuable podcast, find behind the pen, and click on the show. And there you go. Full length podcast for you. We got primetime podcast, fast break, onside kick, football, basketball, college sports. Most valuable podcast is your destination for sports conversation. And I am so happy to be here with you guys. Today, I'm going to start with the Chicago Bears. And it's not easy always talking Chicago Bears, especially when they go 3-13 and and they're poo, you know. So I'm going to try and go a different approach here because the last few shows that I've done have obviously been a little uh, negative, to say the least. And you have to be, right? With the Chicago Bears, when you go 3-13, and you have two of your best players being suspended for PD use. You're going to be a little critical and there's questions going on uh, around the coaching staff, Dowell Loggins. You know, there's some friction apparently reported. I'm not sure if it's true. Can't say it's true. But there's a report between Fangio and Fox maybe not being on the same page. There's Fox pretty much running the show over the GM, Ryan Pace, is now going into his third year. It's going to be a critical offseason for the Chicago Bears, especially in the draft specifically. And we're, I'll have much more on that conversation. But we're going to talk on a little lighter note here on today's show because there are some good news. The Chicago Bears have a pro bowler. Ladies and gentlemen, Jordan Howard, the rookie, replaces David Johnson in the pro bowl this year and well-deserved to him. Round of applause, Mr. Jordan Howard. Just phenomenal effort this season with the Chicago Bears. Behind an offensive line that was really pieced together as the season went on due to injury and, you know, Josh Sitton came in late. Cody White here adjusted to the center position. He was coming in as projected to be a guard and he played center for pretty much actually every single game. He did phenomenal. It's another guy we should note. I'm going to name some players that stood out to me. In particular, obviously Jordan Howard. I'm going to elaborate on that a little bit, as well as Leonard Floyd. And then some honorable mentions as the conclusion of this segment comes to be because... I have been critical on the Bears, and I hear you guys, I get it, but what else is there to say about this team other than there's a lot of problems, they're a bad football team, and when you watch bad football, you're going to be critical, especially when, for me personally, I was very underwhelmed with the way this season turned out to be. I know I had unrealistic, maybe unrealistic expectations for this club going into this season. I said they would be 10-6 in a wild card. Hey, Come at me all you want. I had my reasons. Go back and listen to why I said that. I was all hyped up after this draft, by the way. After the 2016 draft class, I felt like he, Ryan Pace did a great job of addressing specific needs. I thought he did a great job in free agency. I had faith in Jay Cutler and this offense to be competent. I thought Dowell Loggins could translate well in the first season as offensive coordinator. There were just too many parts of this team that had to go well for them to be good. And 20 guys on injured reserve doesn't help 
at all. So here we are. I look like a fool, 3-13, and 13, but I'm going to continue to talk about the Chicago Bears because that's what I love to do. Hopefully you guys can stick with me throughout. I've been here, guys. I'm here for you. I love the Bears as much as you do. Believe me. Believe me. And I want to kind of recognize this positive aspect of the Bears because really I remember back in the day, back in the day I say early, mid-2000s, the Bears really didn't have a running back. They had Thomas Jones, and then after Thomas Jones, they were searching for one. I remember Anthony Thomas as well. But after Thomas Jones, you relied on Cedric Benson. They had guys like Marion Barber, Adrian Peterson, not that Adrian Peterson, who, by the way, Adrian Peterson is inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame along with Brian Urlacher. That happened this week, so that was cool. Shout out Adrian Peterson. But like I'm saying, until the Bears drafted Forte, they really were in kind of running back purgatory for a while. Forte was a godsend. He was a blessing. He was fantastic. Did everything well. Learned the blocking for Forte kind of came later in his Bears career, but he was a phenomenal pass catcher out of the backfield. Had great vision, unbelievable side to side skill. I mean, Forte, you can't obviously you guys watched him. Forte was one of the best the Bears have ever had. Now they hit on Jordan Howard in the fifth round last season. Credit Ryan Pace for taking him in the fifth round. A lot of people said that Jordan Howard was going to be the best pick in this draft for the Bears, and turned out. He's, he's in that conversation, if not the answer to that conversation, or the conclusion, I should say. Well, let's talk about Jordan Howard a little bit. Finished the season second in rushing in the entire NFL, behind another rookie, Ezekiel Elliott. Now, is that to anybody's surprise? The Cowboys had have the best offensive line in football, and of course, Ezekiel Elliott is an absolute monster, explosive running back. So, holy cow, this is Jordan Howard in the conversation, second in the league, and he did it without getting regular carries until week four of the NFL season. Week four it took him. Now, to answer the question why it took the Bears that long to recognize Howard as this talent that could be relied on every single game, it's because, and this is a fair assumption, that they really couldn't assume Howard could handle the regular stresses or carries that demands an NFL running back in an NFL season. He's a rookie. I mean, you're going give, to give him 20, 25, 30 carries a game right away. I mean, that I'm, for me is a little unrealistic, no matter how good you are, unless you're Ezekiel Elliott. Obviously, he's an anomaly here. But that, that's the thinking I have for this coaching staff, and I understand it. And plus, they had confidence in Jeremy Langford and Kadeem Carey. I still think this running back group can still be successful, headed by Jordan Howard, absolutely. So I don't blame him for waiting that long, but the problem I did have is once you did recognize the talent in Howard, you weren't running the ball as much as you should have. Obviously, that was the strength of this team, and that's a discredit to Dowell Loggins. So obviously, that was something bad. Overall, phenomenal job. And what's incredible, too, is he finished with 1,313 carries, uh, I'm sorry, rushing yards this year on 252 carries. That's 5.2 yards per carry, ranked 4th in the NFL with a minimum of 100 attempts. Like, that's the requirement. But it, it, that's kind of a skewed stat, 4th. He's really 2nd behind, I believe it's LaShawn McCoy, because in, in yards per carry, 5.2, that's a great number. Because guys like Mike Gillisley, who had 101 attempts compared to Howard's 252, and he's ranked 1, Gillisley was, so... And the same with Bilal Paul. Bilal Paul was second with like 130 carries, something like that. So you get it. Jordan Howard was in, was a monster this season. 
Now, there are some things that obviously Jordan Howard is going to have to work on. He needs he needs work in the passing game, that's for sure. We saw he had bricks for hands. I mean, he's getting a little better. Not saying that he didn't log any receiving yards this season, but you can't expect him to run a route like, say, Forte did. Obviously, that's the easy example. But out of the backfield, that's something he's got to work on, and that's a value that will just make Jordan Howard so much better in this Bears system. And the Bears are lucky to have him. Also, now, this wasn't as big of a deal, but obviously if you want to stay on the field as a running back, one of the most important things you have to learn how to do is block and recognize blitz schemes and and step up in the right gap, pick up your man. You know what I mean? Protect your quarterback. He's going to be on the field, and I think he did an okay job in his rookie season. I really can't complain. So Jordan Howard, absolute stud in his first season. Like I said, took him till week four to get regular carries, and he finished second in the league in rushing with 1,313 yards behind Ezekiel Elliott, one of the most efficient running backs in the league. And we saw it. He's strong. He's got some birth. It's just I love his vision. I love his vision. He's always picking the right holes. And that credit to the offensive line. Guys like uh, Cush and, and Sitton eventually, white hair. And imagine with Kyle Long healthy and... You know what? I bashed Bobby Massey a lot, but he did okay, right? He was on the field for every single game, along with Charles Leno. So that's something that I can't complain about. Overall, phenomenal, phenomenal stuff, and that's one of the few positives I can take away from the Chicago Bears season. Let me move on, though, to another one. And this is a conversation that was a huge one, a huge point of emphasis going into 2017, or excuse me, the 2016 season. It was Leonard Floyd, first-round draft pick, second first-round draft pick Ryan Pace had under his ledger. Now, we know the first one didn't go too well with Kevin White, and it still doesn't look like it's going well, given his injury history. I mean, by now you expect him to have more than, what is that, four or five games under his belt? For the guy with two seasons, you would expect, like, 25 games of film, realistically. Or maybe even 20. I mean, that's 10 games per season. As a rookie, a first-round draft pick, you expect more, but, you know, it's the NFL and stuff happens. But nothing from Kevin White so far. And I'm I'm not going to look at Kevin White and say, oh, there's potential there, because I have no idea. He's got to stay in the field and show me. So I'm not looking into any of that anymore. It's like, oh, Kevin White's this all his potential. He's got great hands. All his... Show me. That's all I want. And stay healthy. But Leonard Floyd looks really good, guys. Really, really good. And when the Bears acquired Leonard Floyd, it wasn't really a traditional, okay, he's on the board, I'm going to take him. The Bears actually traded up two spots to grab him above the Giants. Apparently the Giants were interested as well. But my goodness, that was a ballsy move there by Ryan Pace. And to this point, it looks like it's paid off, in my opinion. From what I'm seeing in Leonard Floyd, I see a legitimate first-round defensive starter. And in this front seven, with a healthy front seven, this could be dangerous. And you add Leonard Floyd now, this is like immediately, immediately the questions were, he's undersized. How is he going to beat offensive linemen in the NFL if he's just going to get bottled up? People even went on to say that, oh no, this could be another Shea McClellan. I absolutely, that is not the case. Thank goodness, because my God, that was a disaster in Shea McClellan, Phil Emery, bad. See you later. Leonard Floyd, man, good season. Ryan Pace uh, in this postgame, or I'm sorry, postseason press conference said the sky's the limit for Floyd. And this is a direct quote from Pace. He says, his athleticism, his quickness, 
He's 100 miles per hour to the ball every play. And it's true. We've seen it. He's learned over time how to work his game in the NFL. The way he works his hands, and obviously his speed helps him get around the edge, but he wasn't even a straight edge rusher this season. right? Vic Fangio had him doing all sorts of different things. He wasn't only lining up an outside linebacker. He was in the middle of the field. He it needs some work coverage, obviously. That's something that many young linebackers need work in in the NFL. But it's coming. But we see the value in Leonard Floyd is his ability to get to the quarterback. And he's been doing that. He finished with seven sacks in 12 games. Now, the reason why he played in 12 games was he needs to learn how to keep his head up. Tackling technique is a problem. He suffered two concussions last year. And he didn't really have any documented concussion history at Georgia. So that's a good thing. But, I mean, you, you never know when you get a concussion. You, you can't really, I mean, it's not all of them are going to be documented. So who knows with that. But with those two concussions is something, obviously, they're going to have to monitor carefully because whenever it comes to the brain, that's something serious. And the first concussion he had, I thought he was paralyzed. That, that, was, that was very scary. But I'm looking at, in the end, an overall impression from Leonard Floyd in his first season. I was very impressed. I think the game that really stood out to me was, I believe it was that Thursday night. I'm pretty sure they played the Packers on Thursday night. But Leonard Floyd just busted out. And that was one of his best performances, in my opinion. And from then on, he was pretty consistent in what he was able to do. He had another good game against the Giants. That windy game that I believe ended 22-16. The Bears ended up losing. He played well in that one. Still, a lot of standout performances for Leonard Floyd this season. And he was well worth it. He was well worth the ninth overall pick, in my opinion. And I think he's only going to get better. And we talk about... The questions regarding his size—it's gonna—it's gonna. I mean, it's not gonna happen right away. And he did get bigger. He had to get bigger, but he—he he, there was a noticeable change in his size. I'm not sure what his actual end weight was at the season from the start to the end. You know what I mean? So, I mean, there was a noticeable to the eye he was bigger, but that'll come. But what you can't teach, because you can put on weight, right? But what you can't teach is speed, and this guy's got it, and he's impressive, and I just, I'm, I'm really enjoying watching this young pass rusher go about his business here in the NFL with the Chicago Bears. That front seven is going to be nasty, nasty, sooner rather than later, and that's one of the strengths of the Chicago Bears moving forward. This defense is going to have to be good. Obviously, need playmakers in the secondary. We'll see if they address that in the draft. Jamal Adams, maybe. Who knows? I'm excited for what they decide to do, but other honorable mentions... I guess this could be an honorable mention, but he didn't do anything. And I guess this is more of what the hell is going to happen with this guy, and that's Kyle Fuller. Kyle Fuller, yes, as a rookie, stepped up and proved to be one of the more efficient cover corners. Now, he's not even a cover corner, just a straight corner in the NFL. And I say he's not a cover corner because once they transitioned away from that zone scheme, his game took a hit. He was getting beat over and over again, especially uh, one-on-one, man-to-man. That was a problem for Kyle Fuller. And I know I've said this enough before, and you guys understand this. Kyle Fuller suffered that knee injury. However, just missed all of 2016, and Vic Fangio questioned his toughness, so to speak. Fuller said, oh, I did everything I could to get back on the field. I just know my body, and it wasn't right. That's fine. That's fine. But your uh, position on the field is at jeopardy. So you better be healthy. You better be ready to compete for a spot next year in either cornerback, 
maybe try them out at safety? Maybe? Because they don't really have anything there? Is that something to keep in mind, too? So, I mean, the questions about Kyle Fuller. I don't think they should cut him because you might as well just work with what you got, especially drafting him so high. So run with it and see if Fangio can get anything from this guy, and that would be good. Another honorable mention I want to talk about is, and I already mentioned it before, Cody Whitehair. Cody Whitehair, what a phenomenal job he did. Second-round draft pick last year. Just kicked ass at the center position. I'll tell you what, they decided to bring back Gasu as their starting center. They're idiots, and that's a, that, I know that's not going to happen. But Cody Whitehair proved that he could be their center for years, and that's awesome. Another honorable mention, Cameron Meredith. This guy legitimately established himself as a wide receiver in the NFL and a pretty darn good one at that. Could be a two, could be a slot. You don't know yet. They obviously need help at wide receiver. Don't know the future of Alshon Jeffrey. Kevin White's hurt every second of the day of the week of the uh, month. And then you have Marquise Wilson who doesn't know how to walk straight without breaking his foot or something. So there's so many questions at the wide receiver position, but the one mainstay and something you feel comfortable about is Cameron Meredith. So awesome job, Cameron Meredith, stepping up this season and being one of the main guys for Matt Barkley to throw to. Yeah, Matt Barkley, he's not an honorable mention because he sucks. He's bad. Could be a backup, possibly. I'd like to see what Connor Shaw does. Speaking of Connor Shaw, he's got to get healthy. All right, I'm rambling a lot. And you know what? It happens when I talk Bears. I'm sorry, guys. I shouldn't be sorry. I'm talking to you about the Chicago Bears. This is Chicago Bears content, and you can only find it here every week on Behind the Pen. So thank you guys for listening. You guys are truly the best. I'm going to switch gears here from one sport to another. Let's talk about Major League Baseball news, guys, because, yes, Major League Baseball conversation. It's been a while here on Behind the Pen. If you're still listening on Blog Talk Radio, you guys are the best. Thank you so much for sticking around. If you're on YouTube, what's up, Yankees fans? I'm talking to you. If you drop a comment down below and even a like, that'd really help out our channel. Really do appreciate you listening. I'm talking New York Yankees today because I just I feel like it. I feel like it. I think they're a very intriguing team, and they had a kind of a sneaky offseason this year. Even going back to the trade deadline last year, I think they're in a very good spot, and they could be good sooner rather than later. May take a year, but this is the year for the Yankees, in my opinion, to evaluate, 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 and just surprise us because they have so much going on with this team. So I'm going to talk about it. Really, yeah. And let's begin. Really, what they got in Andrew Miller and Aroldis Chapman last season was so huge. So they were able to revitalize their farm system, very similar to what the White Sox did this offseason in a couple moves. I mean, the Yankees acquired the 15th and 17th ranked prospects, according to MajorLeagueBaseball.com, in two moves. Clint Frazier, Gleyber Torres. Really awesome job for the New York Yankees, and those two players alone are the spotlight of the future thus far. And they already have Major League-ready guys who are super exciting for the future of this franchise, specifically Gary Sanchez. What a beast last season. Hitting home runs every other at-bat. It was just incredible what he was able to do. So that happened last trade deadline, right, in 2016. And the Yankees really weren't projected to compete in 2016 by a lot. I mean, unless you're a super big Yankees fan and anything could happen. I mean, I think realistic expectations for 2016 was, meh, what are we going to do? Let's see what happens. And they showed that they are close to being competitive after trading Chapman to the Cubs, getting Gleyber Torres, the 17th-ranked overall prospect in Major League Baseball, what the hell? That's your future shortstop right there. And even they could play around with him, move him to second or, sh- or third, excuse me. Honestly, he's projected to be a shortstop. Don't mess with that. He's super talented there. And I think the Yankees know that. 
But right now, they're looking at Didi Gregorius, and that'll work. That'll work. But after trading Chapman, right, and you get all this value, even Billy McKinney as well, you get them back. They were able to sign Chapman, and I think that was the plan all around because they're like, who else is going to invest all this money into a closer? I mean, we, we know Chapman's value as a closer. Look what he did in the, in the World Series and in the playoffs as a whole. It was incredible. But, I mean, the Marlins were up against the Yankees like, come here, come here. We'll give you a million dollars more if you come to Miami instead of New York. Chapman's like, ah, see ya. Five years, $86 million to re-sign with the Yankees, and they got him. That back end of the bullpen is still dangerous. I mean, the, the bullpen is, is going to be a question. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, but you still have Patances for a while, You still have, and now you have Rollins Chapman for a while, so the Yankees could be good by the time maybe Patances' contract is coming to a conclusion. Maybe in the last year of his contract, they're going to be really good, scary kind of good, and then you'll look at Rollins Chapman, and he's going to be there for a while, obviously. Hopefully his arm doesn't fall off. But that's something you're excited about as a Yankees fan. Is, okay, what's a formula to win in Major League Baseball and in the playoffs? Solidify the back end of the bullpen. Brought in Tyler Clippard. Kind of a savvy move. You know, I'm not going to really grouch about it because there could be worse options. We'll see what they get from Tyler Clippard. But I'll talk about the bullpen in a second because I just got myself all worked up. First, I want to mention what they did this offseason because I kind of rattled off. Going back to that whole deal in the trade deadline, they signed Matt Holiday, and again, savvy move. Nice. Going to be 37. He can fill in at DH. They're going to have to replace Mark Teixeira. Teixeira retired. And A-Rod. A-Rod's gone as well. So Teixeira gone, A-Rod gone. Chase Headley's still at third. You got Greg Bird, right, at first base. Now, Bird unfortunately missed all of 2016 with a shoulder injury, but he looks Encouraged. And I think a lot of the Yankees are excited to have Greg Berg as their first baseman going into the 2017 season. He's going to be 26, hit 11 home runs and 157 at-bats in the big leagues. So we'll see what happens. I mean, young power lefty, you're going to do it. Go for it. Right now, this is the year to evaluate what you got, and I they're, they're excited about Greg Bird. So many young guys. Aaron Hicks, Rob uh, Refschneider. Aaron Judge, first-round pick in 2013. Uh, it's it's a, an evaluation period. I'm going to keep saying evaluation season, and that's what's going to happen. Right now, I'm looking at the depth chart, and I see Gardner, Ellsbury, Judge across the outfield. Of course, you got Aaron Hicks mixed in there as well. He's going to have to prove that he can hit major league pitching. That's kind of a question mark. But you're looking ahead, right, as, if you're the Yankees. You have a Gary Sanchez who's money behind the plate and at the dish when he's hitting, dropping bombs over and over again. Gregorius, you know what? He wasn't terrible for you, right? I think Yankees fans could be okay with the production they got from Gregorius. And Castro, meh, he is what he is. What are you going to do about Starlin Castro? He is what he is. He had a scorching hot start to his Yankees career. Kind of went back to his career average. So can't really complain about Castro as much as you want to. You shouldn't because it could be much worse. But that outfield, it's a question mark. Maybe... It's time to trade Brett Gardner. I don't know. I've never really been a big fan of Brett Gardner. He's got value in his own right. I know he does some things well, but meh, meh. Jacoby Ellsbury kind of took a dump last season, huh, guys? I mean, not really much to boast about uh, for a guy who's making as much as Ellsbury is. He hit 263 with an OPS of 703, nine homers, 56 RBI. What do you? Yeah, I mean, eh, you want you want more, but you got to take it because you have no other choice. 
at this point. You're stuck with them for a while. And I look at this team, and they're so full of young guys, just guys, that are going to find their way into the lineup. And I know Chase Headley is bad at third, and I'm not, I don't assume Headley's going to be there at third all season long. If he is, I would absolutely be astounded because this Yankees team has just too many young guys to just let them watch Chase Headley bat 230. The problem, though, and this is what's going to restrict them from being legitimate competitors in the American League, they could surprise a lot of people. Who knows? The current state of the Major League Baseball, I guess, aura, we'll call it, is young players taking over the game, and it's crazy. All of a sudden, teams who are terrible, like the Cubs and the Astros, I know it's not all of a sudden because it takes time to develop, but when you have those guys ready, suddenly they're powerhouses in dominating fashion. And that's what the Yankees are on their way to. Plus, they're the freaking Yankees. And when it comes to 2019, they could throw like $250 million to Manny Machado and say, come on, play for us, the evil empire. And they'll, they'll kid him. And they'll say, okay, cool, awesome. Let's win 10 more World Series, make it 37. Unreal. But the problem I see with the Yankees and what may restrict them to compete in the American League this year is questions in their starting rotation. I mean, they run eight deep. The bottom three are guys. They're just guys. Who's going to emerge? And their bullpen. I don't know what they're going to get from their bullpen, to be honest with you. You got Patances, Chapman, Clippers, a question mark, struggle, struggle a little bit. Tommy Lane, lefty, you're going to have two besides Chapman, in my opinion, that you could rely on. Another guy as well is Richard Blyer. I mean, he came in 23 innings as a lefty, looked really good. So he's a young guy. They're probably going to rely on him in the bullpen this season. So, Got a couple pieces. Other than that, let's see what you got. Let's see what you got in 2017 there, New York Yankees, because you won 84 games last year, and I couldn't believe it. They they had no business winning 84 games last season with that roster. The rotation, you're relying a lot on Masahiro Tanaka, and he's been really good for you. You make the playoffs, I think he can win you a game. If if it's in the wild card, I think he can win that must-win matchup. I think he's that good. Michael Pineda, not ideal. For a two-starter, really. However, you can live with it at the current state of the Yankees, but yeah, the sum's got to be figured out there quickly. Sabathia, so old. So old and, and paid a lot. Can he stay healthy? I mean, he had 180 innings last year. Sub-4 ERA. Kind of impressive, to be honest, with Sabathia. You can't really say much else other than, wow, good job, CeCe. For where you were at in your career, that's impressive, and I commend you, sir. Well, other than that, Luis Severino, he's a nice young piece. I think he's going to take a step forward. That's a guy I'm excited to watch this season. I think he's going to take a step forward to the Yankees. He's going to be pretty solid. Other than that, a bunch of guys. And that also goes to how their bullpen is put, out, put together as well. A bunch of guys. Who is going to be emerging in June and July as the mainstay starting lineups for the New York Yankees? You tell me, Yankees fans, tell me. If I'm off base right now, tell me. Call me an idiot. That's cool. But I'm excited to see what Clint Frazier does in the major leagues. He can play any outfield position, corner, center, and Glyber Torres. Glyber Torres may be a year away. Maybe we see him at some point late in 2017, maybe in August or something. Or maybe he just forces his way onto the big, big league roster in like the end of June or in the middle of July. I would love it. I would absolutely love it. You never know. That's why the baseball season is so fun to watch and, and pay attention to. I know it's long. But it's just unlike any other sport, and I love it. I absolutely love it. That's why I'm talking baseball with you guys. Yankees fans, 
Let me know down below what you think and what your expectations are going into 2017 and how I did. Was I right? Was I wrong? Was I stupid? Was I stupid? Whatever. Thanks, guys, for listening. I'm going to transition now to another Major League topic. So if you're on blogtalkradio.com, stay tuned and talk Mariners next. If you're on YouTube, drop a like down below. really helps out the channel. Thank you guys for listening. You're the best. All right, guys, we're chugging right along here on Behind the Pen. Thank you for sticking around. If you're on blogtalkradio.com backslash Behind the Pen, I really do appreciate you listening. You guys are the lifeblood of Most Valuable Podcasts. YouTube. Thank you guys for checking in. This is your segment, the Seattle Mariners. I'm going to talk about the Mariners because Jerry DePoto is a nut job. And I say that with love because he's so entertaining. Just mixing and matching and doing things and stuff and creating trades and acquiring players and talent and drafting guys who are in top 15 and you know MLB's top prospect ranking. So exciting stuff for the Seattle Mariners moving forward. After they finish 2016... 86 and 76 in second place behind the Texas Rangers. And they honestly weren't too far off from winning that division. I mean, they they were in it. When it came to September, they were right there. And guys, I was really rooting for the Mariners, to be honest. They're a fun team to watch, but they're a different team now. DePoto made 11 different trades this offseason. I'm going to try and hit on all of them and try and touch on the most significant. But I want to go back real quick and talk about Something that relates to my favorite team, the Chicago Cubs. That's Dan Vogelbach. They acquired this guy from Mike Montgomery, who did record the final out of the World Series. Hope you Mariners fans enjoyed that, because Montgomery got the ring, and the Cubs got the ring. And in my head, I got the ring, because I've lived through... Okay, that's enough. But (laughs) we look at Dan Vogelbach, and I think he's legit, guys. I think you got a real talented player there with a ton of power. He's decent defensively at first base, could play DH for you as well. I mean, you have Nelson Cruz there, so that's solidified, to say the least. You still have Nelson Cruz and Robinson Cano there for you, as well as Kyle Seager. Like, those are three superstars on your club. And what do you need to win? Superstars. So you add in Vogelbach, young player, a lot of potential, could provide. They're they're expecting a lot from him over there at first base, and rightfully so. The Mariners are built to make some noise in the American League this season, and I think they can do it. I really do. I I feel like they're going to be in the conversation because that American League West is going to be very, very competitive because the Astros made a ton of improvements. Obviously, the Rangers are still the team to beat, arguably. And then you have the, the A's and the Angels. Angels don't know what they're doing ever. I really don't. And the A's, Billy Bean... He's going to do what he does and probably win 72 games if he's lucky. Anyway, so we're focusing on those three teams. And the Mariners, what fans, they're in the they're in the conversation. Keep me interested until August, say late August, until the Seahawks start up, right? Or if you're a Seattle Sounders fan, if you're into that kind of thing. Seattle's got great fans, guys. Like, their sports stadiums, obviously the 12th man with the... Seattle Seahawks over there. It's just incredible what they were able to... Even the Sounders, too, when they come out. and That's why I want the Mariners to be good. The Mariners have a really cool stadium. I, 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 that's definitely a city that I want to travel to that I haven't yet. And I want to experience at least one sporting event, whether it's the Seahawks or the Mariners. I, I'm not a big soccer guy, so I probably pass on the Sounders game. Thanks for the offer. But I do want to go to Seattle and experience the city because it's awesome. We're talking baseball here, and I'm sorry I backtrack a lot here on Behind the Pen. So they move. I was surprised in this move. Let's let's move on here to the next conversation. And that's 
they moved Taiwan Walker and Kettle Marte for Gene Segura, the Diamondbacks. Now, Gene Segura absolutely killed it with Arizona last year, moving from shortstop, where he was predominantly there in Milwaukee, over to second base, and he did really well. I thought the Diamondbacks had something there at second, and so that's that's I didn't I was not expecting this move at all, right? And I, a young Taiwan Walker, 25 years old, I do believe he's going to be 25 entering this season. He's, I thought he was a I thought he was going to be a really solid pitcher. I thought he had a future with the Mariners as a legitimate middle of the rotation or top third of the rotation starter. Now I. Got to be honest, I don't watch Mariners games for a living, so I don't watch Taiwan Walker pitch every single outing. So you should tell me if I'm kind of off base here, but I thought Taiwan Walker would be something of value that the Mariners could keep to complement guys like Asashi Okuma, who's very valuable, as well as obviously Felix Hernandez, the king. So those those three guys right there, I thought you could build around and you know kind of go from there, but Gene Sakura, incredible value for Gene Sakura. What what you're bringing on to your to your club? He's taking over for Kettle Marte at shortstop, and I think he's going to be great there defensively with Robinson Cano to his left. That's going to be a dangerous up the middle threat. Still have Leonis Martin over there in center field, so up the middle you look pretty good. Obviously, the catching situation though, guys, like. Beat it to death, but it's still a question mark. It's been a question mark for a long time. And you're still waiting for Mike Zanino to just break out in the major leagues, right? Because third overall pick in 2012 for the Mariners, and so far it's not been so good. So you brought in Carlos Ruiz as a backup. I mean, that you can live with that. It's not too terrible. But the catching situation, for the most part, has been just one big cluster of blah. Right, for the Mariners. And that, I mean, at the plate, Zanino's a good defender, but at the plate, he provides almost nothing. So we'll see how he matures in that regard. Moving forward, however, I still think, I still think overall the Mariners are in a good spot. I mean, their rotation, well, we'll get there. Hang on, hang on. I'm sorry, I'm jumping around in my brain. Hang on. Right now, I'm looking at their outfield, right? And you add a Jared Dyson. Jared Dyson, sneaky, savvy signing, right? Gets on base, had a really good year with the Royals last season. Steals a bag. It's going to be crazy along with Leonis Martin giving you 25 steals of his own. So that's a nice little duo there in the outfield. Provides astounding defense. I'm not sure if Dyson takes over the everyday starting job in center field and Martin moves over to left or something in the corner. We'll, we'll see about that. But that's two nice little players there in the outfield. And then rounding it off, they're replacing Seth Smith, right? They're going to have to. And right now, it's Mitch Hanniger. He's 26 years old. He was a part of that deal with Kettle Marte and Taiwan Walker, bringing over Gene Segura. Here comes Mitch Hanniger, guy with limited Major League Baseball experience. Meh, really, nothing to boast about so far, but he killed it. Absolutely demolished AAA last season for the D-backs. So hopefully that can translate a few of the Mariners into a productive player over in the corner outfielder because that's a position right now that you don't really have much. Right, I mean, Martin and Dyson are your mainstays, but other than that, that's there's not much depth there. I wonder if Depoto goes out and makes another trade, which would be unreal, or a signing of some sort. Brendan Moss, Jay Bruce, something of that sort, or maybe a reunion for Michael Saunders. Maybe that's a little crazy. I saw the Phillies were interested in Saunders, but you add power into that corner outfield position, 
even boast that lineup even better. So I don't know. Who knows what Depoto's thinking? Because I don't. This guy's making moves left and right, totally revamping this roster, this major league roster. He totally changed the starting rotation outlook. You have Hernandez, Iwakuma, and then under that, it's something different. James Paxton last year emerged. He's 28 years old. 120 innings pitch did well. Sub-4 ERA, I think. The Mariners are excited to see what Paxton can bring moving forward. Uh, next to him, these are two new players. Giovanni Gallardo, he's in. That's a question mark. Giovanni Gallardo, his production, you're not you're not sure what you're going to get. Maybe a war of one as a pitcher. I mean, as a five-starter, you're going to take that. But the guy that I'm most interested in, and that I'm going to watch very closely with the Mariners, first, he's got to stay healthy. And two, if he's healthy, how productive is he? That's Drew Smiley. Smiley had himself a season that the Mariners are excited about last year because I'm looking at the innings pitch, maybe not the ERA, but that in the, that innings pitch, it shows. And plus, Smiley at one point of his career was almost untouchable. He had like a 170 ERA at one point late in the season with the Rays and then before he was shut down. And that was in 2014. And things have changed. 2015, limited opportunity with the Rays at 66 and two-thirds innings, pitched well. But like I said, 2016, he had 175 innings pitched. Yeah, that ERA was kind of exaggerated a bit. But if you're the Mariners, that's a guy that you want at the back end of your rotation, and he could surprise you. And that's what the Mariners are banking on. They saw something in Smiley that's worth giving up some prospects for, and I, I, don't, I don't blame DePoto. I mean, th- these are a lot of pieces to a puzzle, right, being put together all at once by the Seattle Mariners. Right in the thick of things last year, lost some pieces like Seth Smith, but I think they have a nice little healthy balance here to overcome that. I want to mention real quick before I end this show, I'm almost finished here, more things that fit the exciting narrative that is the Seattle Mariners and what they're excited about. That's Kyle Lewis, their 11th overall first round pick in 2016. Outfielder projected to arrive in maybe a year or two, 2018 possibly. He's got a healthy mix of power and speed. Good defender. I don't know, man. I don't know. That's uh, Well, he's their only top 100 prospect for the Mariners. So they're banking on right now. It's obvious that they want to compete this year, and they have Cano, they have Cruz, they have Seager, Segura they brought in. So Vogelbach at first, this is an impressive lineup that can mix and match and do some things. Jared Dyson, you know, it, it looks good on paper, but will it translate to on the field? And I think it may. Because when you have a guy like Felix Hernandez who could solidify and lock down, you know, teams are looking for aces. That's probably the most valuable commodity a team can have, an ace. And the Mariners have had that for years. And do you blame DePoto for going after it now? Because it's been long enough Felix Hernandez hasn't pitched in a playoff game. And I think, I mean, he deserves it. Obviously, he's one of the best in the game. But the Mariners deserve it. The fans deserve it. What, since 2001, the Mariners haven't been in the playoffs? That's not cool. Something's got to change, and it might happen this year, maybe next year. But I like the direction DePoto's taking this Mariners team, and I like that he's fearless on the market. It could cost him his job down the road because you could put yourself in a huge hole. But right now, I think it at least gives Mariners fans optimism and an, an interest level that will keep them involved, as long as they're competitive, until late in the season. And that could go all the way to September. We'll see what happens. But I love, it's January 12th, guys. I love having a chance to talk about warm, sunny, bright weather on this cold, miserable evening here in Chicago in January. My goodness. 
sick of this cold weather. I need to move to a warm weather climate, guys. I mean, I go to Florida every once in a while, so maybe that might be the destination. Anyway, anyway, thank you all so much for listening. It's been a hoot for this show, this Behind the Pen. If you're on Blog Talk Radio, you made it. Thank you so much for sticking around throughout this entire podcast. I hope I entertained you. I will entertain you and continue to do so next week and the week after because I have no intentions of stopping anytime soon. If you're on YouTube, drop a like down below. It really helps out the channel. If you could subscribe, it would be fantastic for us as well. We're getting there, guys. We're on the move. Be sure to come back for draft conversation because we're going to do a lot of that. And if you want more Major League Baseball conversations, stay tuned right here to Behind the Pen. As soon as this offseason continues to progress, I'm going to I'm just going to talk about baseball because Bears are done and uh, other football nonsense is coming to an end. I'm not really a basketball guy. That's for the fast break. I talk Bulls, but other than that, I'm going to start focusing on baseball for you guys. Hopefully, you can join me for that. Talk Mariners today. Talk Yankees today. Talk Bears today. Be sure to, if you could, become a Patreon. Donate a dollar monthly. We can entertain you more so than we already do. Give us an opportunity to get creative. I'm at Rankin906 on Twitter. If you want to follow our channel on Twitter, run by Sean Anderson. That's at Most Available Pod. We're on Instagram and stuff. Just look us up. You'll be there. We're on iTunes as well, so download our podcast there. Guys, it's been a pleasure speaking with you all tonight, this afternoon, whenever you want to listen to this podcast. And as always, we will see you all next time. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.